You're listening to. Whoa! To another episode of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast about books by Asian and Asian American authors. Uh, my name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And it is the middle of November, so we're going to come at you with one of our mid month news episodes. And who boy, there's a lot of news. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a light news month, and I was like, oh, okay, like it's going to be a short episode. And then I think last week it was just like a whole info dump of news and I'm like <laughs> not uh... just news but also like controversies and bad takes and um yeah just like a lot of stuff a lot of conversation happening in the Asian American um book world yeah and specifically Asian American book Twitter. I had to take a break cuz it was just a lot of garbage fire on Twitter and I was like, <laughs> "Oh god, I can't." Like it's like every month there is at least one controversy and I'm like, "Can't, I can't." But on the other hand, that's good too because I feel like there's always been this much shit happening, we just haven't heard about it because everyone keeps quiet, you Yeah, know? yeah, people have become way more vocal yeah. and definitely more support because there's like there's organizations like We Need Diverse Books and um, publishing, like the publishing industry has gotten a little bit more diverse. Not not enough to a point where I, I see like a significant difference, but it, it has gotten marginally better. <laughs> I mean, it's gotten to a point where we have, remember last episode where we had, you know, white writers complaining about how diversity is, makes it so hard for them to write books now. <laughs> Anyways, I don't um, think I would be so exasperated if it wasn't the same argument every <laughs> other week. Like literally, it's every other week. That's I true. See, like a stream of of tweets. That it, it, it does feel like there's just outrage fatigue, not only in book world and media world, but also in politics world and even food world. There's, Everything there's like- is just garbage <laughs> fire. Like. It's garbage fire. I mean, it all comes from the fact that like we're no longer letting people get away with bullshit. That's that's the bottom line. It's like no more bullshit. We demand more than bullshit. Twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen, the end of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Twenty eighteen, the start of new shit. Oh God. Please let it be the rise of new <laughs> shit. I don't think I can take another year of just like emotional trauma. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just me and Rira this week, so we're going to go through our new releases and book news. But before we get to that, a uh, quick reminder that the November Books and Boba Book Club pick is Empress of a Thousand Skies by Rhoda Beleza. Yeah, and if you want to get ahead of your holiday reading, our December book is um, Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. So if you are at a Barnes & Noble or your local bookstore, buy both of them. I picked up both of those, actually, from the local Romans. Oh, cool. Yeah. Also, because they were the only place in like the entire San Gabriel Valley that carried the Entertainment Weekly with the um, Crazy Rich Asians cover story. Oh, my God. It was such a nice cover. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but um, yeah. yes, I was I was very happy. Um, it was cool to see the photo shoot, but also the first like the first scenes from the movie and just like how it's going to look and it's going to it's going to be awesome. Um, 
As always, you can um, help us discuss our monthly books and any Asian or Asian American book news on our Goodreads forums. We can you can find us on Goodreads.com uh, under the group Books and Boba. Um, if you do join us, please um, introduce yourself in our introduction thread, and we'd love to know. Um, who you are and what you're reading, and we've been getting. I mean, we've it's been getting more and more um, active in the last few months, which is great. And so, thank you to all our book club members for um, for reading with us. Um, and with that, let's get to the new releases of the month of November. Um, I guess this is everything starting from books we missed from last week to books upcoming. Yeah. There will always be books I miss, and this, and of course, this is not like a full list of uh, books by Asian American authors that are coming out in November. <laughs> if there's anything that we didn't cover, um, please just let us know on the forums. But uh, first up, it's Rosemarked by Livia Blackburn, published by Disney Hyperion, released on November seventh. Um, the book is about uh, when Ziva, a Dara healer, contracts the Rose Plague from an Amperin battalion occupying her village. She knows that she's destined to live her last days in isolation, cut off from her people and unable to practice her art. Meanwhile, Denise, a Shadadi warrior who has survived the plague and is forever immune, seeks revenge after being tortured by Amperin soldiers. The two are sent on a high-stake mission to spy on the Amperin capital, and amidst the constant fear of discovery, Ziva and Denise grapple with a mutual attraction that could break both of their carefully guarded hearts. I have heard... So many good things about this book, um, and it doesn't hurt that like both of the protagonists they um, they are disfigured from like the plague that mm. um, that they survive, and you don't really see a lot of uh, characters and and protagonists nonetheless like who are disfigured and are not inspirational stories. So yeah. this is actually like really nice and. It sounds like something that I would read, but I have so many books on my to-be-read pile. Just add, it, of, just add it to the bottom. I just my my hold on the Hate You Give by mm. Angie Thomas Scott just went through, and I'm like, man, I wonder when I'm going to read this because I have like five <laughs> other library books that are due in the next five days. And oh. anyway, enough about my TBR pile. Book problems. Book, book problems. Life, book life problems. Uh, next on our list is Quiet Girl in a Noisy World, an Introvert's Story by Debbie Tung. Uh, it's published by Andrew McMeal Publishing and it released on November 7th. This collection of short comics illuminates author Debbie Tung's experience as an introvert in an extrovert's world, presented in a loose narrative style that can be read front to back or dipped into at one's leisure. The book spans three years of Debbie's life, from the end of college to present day. In these early years of adulthood, Debbie slowly but finally discovers there is a name for her lifelong need to be alone. She's an introvert. Ooh. So I've seen a couple of comics floating around Tumblr and uh, Pinterest, and they are so relatable. I, I am like an extreme introvert. Doing this podcast is like the most amount of social interaction I get. Like, I mean, to be fair, every you're, you're, couple you're interacting with me and a microphone. Microphones are scary. <laughs> um, but yeah, there was like this one comic where uh, like it, it, I think the title was it's like title of it was uh, How I Party. Mm. And uh, 
the author Debbie Tung, like she illustrated herself like under a blanket at home, and she's like reading a pile of books, and she's like, "Oh man, that happened! Wow, this is the craziest night ever!" And I'm like, "Yep, story of my life. That's pretty much what I do on a Friday night usually."、Mm. I'm making myself sound really sad, but I'm actually pretty happy with my introverted life. I mean, I've seen you out in social air, social events too, though, and like you're not like totally it ineffectual. Takes, <laughs> it takes me like a month to recharge.、Oh. It takes a lot of guts for me to to go to social events because、mm. I have a lot of anxiety and <laughs> I take medication for it, and it's it's a lot of work. So I try to not be as social as possible, but sometimes <laughs> I can't avoid it. So, you know what? This is your your voice is reaching hundreds of people over the internet. I'll be surprised if there's like ten people listening to this. No, we we have hundreds.、Um, oh maybe wow! More. Could be more if you guys help us share, give us a review on iTunes,、um, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find podcasts, and also share us with your friends who might be interested in reading books by Asian Americans and you know, listening to people talk about them. We got some really nice messages recently about people who. Have been following us, and yeah, it's、um, it's good to know you guys are out there listening. It's good to know that this like labor of love is appreciated. <laughs> yeah, Reba puts in a lot of work compiling these lists. Like, I helped her one month, and I almost like died. <laughs> so、uh, <laughs> you were、uh, like, you were like, oh my god, there's a lot, and I'm like, yeah, Marvin, there's a lot. <laughs> Next up, we have Witchwood by Tahere Mafi. Reba included pronunciations for this one, so thank you for that for not me for helping me not sound like an idiot.、Um, published by Dutton Books for young readers,、um, released on November fourteenth, which was this week.、Um, since her mother's death and father's departure, Lady has become the sole remaining mortuary in the village of Witchwood, destined to spend her days washing the bodies of the dead and prepping their souls for the afterlife. A lot of afterlife stuff recently in this book club. I dig it. Um, it's become easy to forget and easier still to ignore the way her hands are stiffening and turning in silver, just like her hair and her own ever increasing loneliness and fear.、Uh, but soon, a pair of familiar strangers appears, and Lily's world is turned upside down as she rediscovers color, magic, and the healing power of friendship. So I saw the author of Witchwood at、um, like at Marie Lu's event when、mm-hmm. she was promoting Warcross and Romans, and、uh, yeah, like Witchwood sounded like a really cool book and. <laughs> I was so poor and broke, and I was like, I can't buy this book. I'll have to wait. <laughs> I'll have to wait until、uh, it like comes to my library because, unfortunately, I can't buy every book that I want to read. One day, one day, one day, I will. One have... day, when Audible sponsors this podcast, <laughs> gives us money, <laughs> or any other book related <laughs> companies out there,、uh, living the dream.、Um, oh. So the last book on our list is "I Wore My Blackest Hair" by Carlina Duan. And is published by Little A and released on November fourteenth. In her debut collection of poetry, Fulbright Grant recipient Carlina Duan explores what it means to be a bold woman, a Chinese American, and what it means to be a woman in between identities, places, languages, and desires. Her poems wrestle and celebrate ancestry and history, racial consciousness, and the growing pains of adulthood. And that's "I Wore My Blackest Hair" by Carlina Duan. Nice. Yeah, I still haven't、um, busted open a poetry collection book yet, but、uh, I, I do want to read a poetry book for Books and Boba. But I am definitely 
Whenever in whenever I was in English class and we had to analyze poems, I was mm. so bad at it <laughs> that I'm just like I'm a little bit scared to do that. On yeah, the it's kind of like um, I mean, it'll just be a more abstract conversation. Maybe maybe we'll bring in a third person who's actually um, <laughs> a little bit more equipped to talk about it. We might have to lean on our books and boba uh, members on the forums for for help there. And those are the new new releases um, of November. Uh, if there's any more that come out um, before the end of the month, we'll catch up on them in our end of month discussion episode. Uh, but thanks to Rira for um, for thanks to Twitter. Them. Thanks to everyone who you know. Yeah. Post news and on social media. And those of you who want to like kind of help us out, help us out with compiling. Um, news stories we have a news desk um thread in our goodreads forums if there's anything that comes to mind or did you see um go ahead and post there and you know we'll, we'll pick it up on the on the podcast and you can always slide into our dms on twitter yeah slide uh okay so we are going to move on to book news book, book news book deals uh i'm going to start because uh there's a piece of news that didn't make it onto our our uh, dossier. Okay, because, is this breaking it news? Just, it just happened last night. We got breaking news. Uh, so Imagine Entertainment has bought the film rights for Renee Audier's oh, YA fantasy novel, The Wrath and the Dawn. And uh, it's pretty much, the book is pretty much uh, an, like a YA fantasy take on uh, one thousand and one nights. Is that what it's called? No. A thousand one oh, Arabian nights. Yeah, Arabian. A thousand one Arabian nights. Yeah, a thousand one Arabian yeah. nights. So, um, yeah, that sounds really interesting. Uh, it's not. It's an option, so it's not a guarantee that yeah. it will it will see the light of day. But they are planning to develop it. Yeah, hopefully means- with a lot of luck, it will <laughs> it will pass development hell. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely definitely a lot of uh, potential there, especially modernizing. People love modernizing folktales, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Like, yeah. It's all about. And uh, Renee Audier, um, I'm not sure if I'm saying her name correctly. I'm so sorry. But uh, she's also the author of Flame in the Mist. Yeah. Which and that is... was like a Japanese Mulan retelling. Yeah. And that also did really well. Yeah. she's. Um, I think she's working on the sequel right now. So awesome! Congrats to Renee Adier, and looking forward to where that where that. I, I love hearing all these news of like all these books being picked up for option. I really, yeah, I really hope. Um, I mean, Crazy Rich Asians leading the way, right? Yeah. And Speaking of Crazy Rich Asians, that's next on our list. Yeah, um, Warner Brothers announced that Crazy Rich Asians is slated for an August seventeenth release, August seventeenth, twenty eighteen, eight seventeen eighteen. You know, I kind of wish it would eight eighteen eight. 8 18 18 but that would be a saturday i guess so that doesn't really work yeah, doesn't for work. hollywood but um a most auspicious date and also like there's a date it's coming out i was i was actually on the day when they announced the uh release date for this movie i was actually very frustrated because i was like <laughs> i want to read crazy rich asians this year i know they are coming out with this movie this coming year so when are we going to read this for book club? We don't have to read it the month it comes out. No, I want to read it when it comes out. That way, it's like we get more hits. Marketing yeah. strategy. <laughs> um, yeah, we right on. Like, we, yeah, we totally piggyback on that hashtag for sure. There's going to be so many articles on uh, online with like interviews with Constance Wu and the cast of Crazy Rich Asians. I'm going to jump on that. This way. is how you know Riva used to work in social media and um, <laughs> online editing. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we talked about the Entertainment Weekly cover with Henry Golding and yeah. Constance Wu. Oh my God. It is like so luxurious. It, 
it like just the fact that like you have like basically just Asian faces everywhere in all these stills. Yeah. And you know that it's it's in not an Asian American story, although it is. It's like an Asian American fish out of water story, yeah. right? I mean I'm very excited for people to see it. I'm very excited to see to look for everyone else to see it too, to see what's possible. You know, like you can't say that Asian Asians can't um, headline a movie, yeah, and like Asian men can can't yeah. be like romantic leads because I think Henry <laughs> Golding looks fine. So, so great casting there. You um, you actually called uh, the Gemma Chang casting like, for Astrid, the uh, the stylish cousin. I saw her on Humans, and I was like, oh my gosh, she's so beautiful. I have a total girl <laughs> crush on her. Um, but yeah, I mean, John M. Chu is putting like. Basically, there's, there's, there. Um, I know for a fact that they're they're screen testing the crap out of this movie. Like Warner Brothers is putting a lot of money behind making sure this movie is a hit. Yeah, you know. Actually, I just remembered what I was gonna say about uh, about the movie. So there was this, there was I, I don't know if it was Entertainment Weekly or if it was Bustle, but someone interviewed Kevin Kwan, the author. <laughs> I think of that was Rotations. in the, that was in the Entertainment Weekly um, story. And um, there was a tweet, right? Are you talking about the tweet? Maybe. I think it might be tied into it. But Kevin yeah. Kwan uh, is an executive producer in this movie. And he's the author of the original And he's, of course, trilogy. he's the author. Yeah. Like, but, like, props to him for putting a producer, like, <laughs> leg into it. Um, but he said that when he was shopping the book around for a movie, uh, there was a producer that said, yeah, they wanted to make the main character white. Yeah, they're like, oh, what if we made Rachel white? It would be so great and broaden our audiences. And Kevin Kwan just like looked at the producer and was just like, no, no. <laughs> and later on, and I think it was like later on, uh, he went to like a Texas book club meeting mm-hmm. and it was like pretty much all white middle-aged women who right. had read the book and loved it. And he told them the story about his meeting with the kind of racist producer but kind not kind of well you I mean systematically racist yeah, systematic. <laughs> let's be like, might not be his fault but yeah, it might definitely not fault, is working but... within the the trappings of race institutional racism so he, he told these uh white women what happened and they all said no they can't cast rachel chu as a white person like we're so tired of seeing the same white women actors <laughs> in leading roles and i thought that was really funny i mean from what i understand from the story her being asian american is an integral part of the story and her character it just wouldn't be the same if she was like yeah like a white a white lady um i remember this because um entertainment weekly the official account um the verified account um posted this like this snippet saying believe it or not producers wanted to uh, make racial true white and then I just remember the our community kind of just jumped in and said, no, we believe it. Yeah, I mean, after Ghost in the Shell and Iron Fist and, oh, God, like, <laughs> so many other things that happened this past year. Yeah. Yeah. And especially, this came really close to, um, I don't know if you have this on the list, but, um, yeah, the, the Leonard Chang debacle um, controversy. Uh, yeah. We can, skip, we can skip down to the list. Um Wow, we're being a rebel. We're just skipping around. Well, it's it's a, it's 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 what we call in the podcast biz a segue. Yeah, sure. And <laughs> it's a it's a it's well, a very Marvin, natural segue. Well, Marvin, you're pro, so. Um, but um, and now we're now we're calling it out, so we're definitely pro podcasters now. Um, 
So there was a article on um, what was the it was like a publishing site, right? Yeah, it was like a publishing site. Leonard Chang, who is an author, uh, who's a Korean American author and screenwriter he, too, and, and screenwriter yeah. too. Uh, I think he's like writing for FX's Snowfall, mm-hmm. um, but he has kind of like this column on a on a yeah, publishing he, site. He published it back in May, so this is like someone picking it up, but it is timely. Yeah, um, basically sharing excerpts from two rejection letters he received from about his latest novel, The Lockpicker. Up, um, both rejection letters from what he he left them anonymous because you know he's professional. And courteous, but he's also the editors are dead. So yeah, they passed on. But they're supposedly they're supposedly like legendary editors in, yeah. in the industry. And um, Reba, why don't you read to us what the legendary editor had to say? Well, there were two, but I'll pick the one that like really like stood out to me. <laughs> um, and the excerpt from the rejection letter goes. The characters, especially the main character, just do not seem Asian enough. They act like everyone else. They don't eat Korean food. They don't speak Korean. And you have to think about ways to make these characters more ethnic, more different. We get too much of the minutiae. No. Minutiae? Minutiae. Sorry. We get too much of the minutiae of the characters' lives and none of the details that separate Koreans and Korean Americans from the rest of us. For example, in the scene when she looks into the mirror, you don't show how she sees her slanted eyes or how she thinks of her Asianness. You guys, every time I wake up in the morning, I just look at my slanted eyes and just just ponder about my Asianness as I put on my geisha makeup and then <laughs> and then I like make bibimbap in the morning because that is my breakfast food and then with the chopsticks that i just used to demolish that bibimbap i put it into my hair and then i go out into the streets passing out (laughs) kimchi because that's what asians do right sometimes um when i look in the mirror and contemplate my asianness i pull my eyelids back a little more just to add some extra asianness in my life you know (laughs) and i go out with my rice patty hat and my braided hair, and I kung fu across the Everybody sky. loves kung fu fighting, right? <laughs> I mean, like, for real, though, like, when I look in the mirror, like, the only times I actually pay attention to my eyes is just, like, how great my eyeliner looks. Uh, but that's about it. Like, well, it used to be to put it on my contacts. But now that I lasered my eyes, it's, you know, I don't really look in my eyes anymore. But um, the response from Asian Twitter was very, very just full of shade like um will Choi had a great one he was like things i do in the morning like you said <laughs> wake up eat breakfast contemplate asianness um and the thing uh, is like leonard chang like he has written a whole bunch of novels i think he has like nine novels under his belt but yeah. um a lot of his protagonists are korean americans usually second generations and like his protagonists usually have assimilated into American culture to a point where like they don't really have much of a strong tie to their parents' country. Yeah. Which is, you know, which is normal because like when you're a second generation <laughs> Korean American, you don't ponder about like And like you wake up and you eat oatmeal. Sometimes you do maybe add a little kimchi to it to give it flavor, but it's not like all you do, right? I think over the years, I've seen a lot of books written by white authors that are set in Asia or um, they have like an Asian American protagonist, but there are just like things that they don't 
understand and they don't and details that they don't really nail down yeah and it's and a lot of a lot of these books they like kind of capitalize on the exoticism of asia and like that's like (laughs) i i feel like that's just like not that's not fair because you're making Asian people sound like aliens and, yeah. and not human beings. And the worst part is like it requires like the exposition that requires is like not natural sometimes. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's like pressuring um, authors of color to like yeah. only write about like the foreignness of their culture. And it's and like. Honestly, there's some things about American culture that are just weird. So I don't understand like this whole like fascination with uh, with like quote unquote Orientalism, the Far yeah. East, the Mystic East. Like, and, it's so and I dumb. think that's something that, especially in Asian American media, has been improving. Right, uh, it's, like in Asian American film, you're getting less and less um, like films that are about this is how we're different, and more like this is how we're, we're this is how we're American. You know, yeah. it's, it's 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 a slight difference. I mean, like look at movies like Blade Runner, where they use like yeah Asian cities as backdrops, but there's no Asian people, and that's kind of what I feel like happens often in sci-fi books. Yeah, and like which sucks because Blade Runner, the first Blade Runner, had Asian characters, like James um, James Hong. Yeah, was the eye guy. And he had speaking parts. Anyways, we can go on forever on this topic. We're just we're you just heard exhausted. About the restaurant in South Africa. Yes, I heard. Yeah. Yes, I heard. I'm just so fatigued. <laughs> <laughs> Can't stop fighting. That's what we, that's what they want. Um, okay, well, let's move on to book deals. Yeah, more book news. Let's <laughs> let's happy news for books book people. <laughs> okay, so Candlewick Press acquired Yoko Tanaka's Dandelion's Dreams, a world a wordless picture book that explores the unexpected aspiration of a dandelion to be a real lion. Publication is planned for fall 2019. Cool. Congrats. And um, two of Maggie Takuda Hall's books were also bought by Candlewick. Um, the first is a picture book based on the true story of the author's grandparents who met and fell in love on prison in Minidoka internment camp. The second book is a debut YA fantasy entitled The Mermaid, the Witch, and the Sea, a story of magic mayhem set aboard a pirate ship. Uh, The latter book is tentatively slated for 2019. I think it's really great that there's a picture book about um, like Japanese internment, things that aren't really taught in yeah. school nowadays. There's a lot. There's a there's like a subgenre of picture books uh, I mean, that takes place in Japanese internment camps. Something crazy that I learned was that they don't teach internment in Hawaii. What? Because it didn't happen there. So it's not part of like the the curriculum. But there are so many Japanese people in Hawaii. Yeah, but they they were not the ones that got interned. It's the people on the coast, the West Coast. Well, I can't criticize because I wasn't taught it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to we're going to move on. Um, Next up is Imprint Bot Tiny Pretty Things author Sona Chairapatra. I'm so sorry if I butchered this. Prognosis, love and death. Um, it's pitched as the Mindy Project meets Grey's Anatomy, and it's a YA contemporary novel that follows a 16-year-old girl genius, the youngest MD in America, as she navigates an oncology internship. Um, as she navigates an oncology internship, her big Indian family, and falling for a guitar-toting skater boy. The catch... He's her patient. The novel is slated for spring 2019. I feel like this is more the Mindy Project meets Doogie Howser. 
I've never watched whoever Dancer. wrote this like this blurb, this news blurb. Obviously, is a young person who's never heard of Doogie Howser. <laughs> Uh, fun fact, uh, the editor who bought uh, Sona Cherapatra's uh, new book is Rhoda Beleza, the author of oh. Empress of a Thousand Skies. She works as an editor as her day job. I'm just saying, you should make this into a TV show and cast um, MPH, New Pastor Harris, as like maybe the chief resident, and it'll be a full circle thing. Anyways. Anyways. Dookie Halster fans got me. They, they know what I'm talking about. Um... Uh, first, second, bought Pashmina author Nidhi Chanani and Nick Giordano's middle grade graphic novel Jukebox, which tells the story about two cousins who find a jukebox that takes them back in time. Publication is slated for 2020. This is just um, Bill and Ted. <laughs> this is Bill and Ted. They made Bill and Ted, but like with um, people of color characters. Pashmina is a great graphic novel. Go <laughs> buy it. Next up, Putnam bought two picture books by Chan Lee and Marina On, the husband and wife duo behind the Instagram account Drawings for My Grandchildren. The picture books will feature a grandfather using art to share life experiences and express love for his grandchildren living abroad. Publication for the first book is set for spring 2018. That's cute. Um, so I follow drawings for my grandchildren on Instagram, and the art is just gorgeous. And also the captions, the story in the captions. It's like so many feels. Oh, my God. <laughs> I would just want to cry whenever I read them. Um, Chan Lee, the grandfather who does the art, he actually lives in Brazil and his oh. grandchildren lives in, um, live in Korea and New York. So okay. most of his, all of, almost all of his drawings on Instagram, um, is like kind of like a letter to his grandchildren. So it's like, it's really sweet. And I'm really <laughs> glad that they're compiling his art into a picture book. Yeah. Congrats to, um, drawings from my grandchildren. Uh, next up, Simon Post acquired Gloria Child's Misaligned, a story about a teen outcast who was simultaneously swept up in a whirlwind romance and down a rabbit hole of dark family secrets when another Taiwanese family moves to her small, predominantly white Midwestern town. Publication is planned for fall 2019. Gloria Chow is the author of American Panda, and it's about <laughs> a Taiwanese uh college student who's actually like a teen but she like skipped a couple grades mm. and she's like studying to be a doctor because her taiwanese parents are like you have to be a doctor but he's a but she's a germaphobe so oh. yeah i really want to read american panda if someone can send that to me <laughs> <laughs> that's cool congrats to gloria chow uh on her new book and i think that's it for book deals but we still have a great deal of other news to cover so yeah strap in <laughs> Um, Niantic Labs, the creators of Pokemon Go, are planning to launch an augmented reality game that po- I feel like you should read this t- this story because it's like your thing. Um, Is it my thing that puts the players into a Harry Potter universe? The press release states that players will learn spells, explore the their real world neighborhoods and cities t- to discover and fight legendary beasts and team up with others to take down powerful enemies. Okay, so breakdown: uh, creators of Pokemon Go is pretty much making Pokemon Go for Harry, Harry Potter. Potter. And I think it's really stupid because (laughs) 
Because I, I thought you'd be excited about it. That's no, why you put I, it on here. I've never played Pokemon Go. My boyfriend played it a lot when it first came out, but it was just... It, it was like, dumb fun, but it was... Like no, yesterday, yeah. I went to Starbucks and there were like 10 people outside the Starbucks just like looking at their phones. And I just peeked over and it was them trying to catch a legendary Pokemon. Wait, people are still playing Pokemon Go? Yes, they are still freaking playing pokemon go and it's very mm. annoying i'm a see i've moved on to the fire emblem game which is much more um, oh yeah fire emblem game. Is, yeah, yeah pretty great um <laughs> but for harry potter i feel <laughs> i want to cry because i don't want people to play this game because you don't want people going patronus go patronus catch because like pokemon like even though it's very popular it's still kind of like a niche thing like Mm. people over the age of 35 aren't really in tune with pokemon because they haven't really grown up with it this is true so but like harry potter it's like so mainstream it's like a pop culture phenomenon so there's gonna be way more people playing this game that means way more people just I mean, think of all the money, you know? I mean, that's what Niantic is thinking of. (laughs) I I am happy, though, that, like, games like these, they get people to walk outside and explore their neighborhoods. But there are people who invade other people's homes, like, other people's properties, and they don't pay attention, and there's car accidents, because we live in L.A., and and you you don't really walk. I will say though, if they do make like an Animal Crossing version of this, I will play it. Like they're making an Animal Crossing game though. They yeah, they are. I will yeah. probably play that version because <laughs> that doesn't sound as popular. I, <laughs> I hear it's pretty good. I hear it's basically Animal Crossing, but on your phone. That sounds with microtransactions. That sounds like everything I ever wanted, minus the microtransactions. Just instead of a town, you're running like a camp, like a summer camp with all your Animal Crossing friends. And sounds Tom like Nook, my game. And Tom Nook probably tries to cheat you out of money somehow. Okay, and we are we're finally touching on this topic. Oh boy, I wanted to talk about it on the podcast for a while. Amazon is planning to adapt the Lord of the Rings into a multi-season TV series, possibly including spin-offs. It's reported that American American <laughs> it's reported that Amazon paid approximately 250 million for the global TV rights. The budget for a high fantasy series of this caliber is expected to be about 100 to 150 million a season according to Deadline. So when they say the Lord of the Rings, they don't mean the actual like Lord of the Rings. They're talking about like the What's that big like compendium that he wrote? That, Cimmerillion? Yeah. No, it's not the Cimmerillion. It's it is, not? It is Lord of the Rings, Why? like the trilogy. Because Hollywood is unoriginal, <sighs> and they're like, oh, this won a lot of awards and a lot of money, so let's make this into a TV series. Does the Tolkien estate need more money at this point? They were shopping it to HBO, Hulu, like pretty much every single streaming service, and Amazon had the highest bid, so... Amazon is going to make this and I'm I'm just like I love Lord of the Rings like I do a marathon every year I own the books but like I'm kind of really sick of seeing period pieces and like historical fantasy series just with white people well also like lord of the rings is such like yeah it's a very european-centric version of fantasy and it's like it's 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 seeped into all like just 
fantasy in general like elves are these dwarves are these you know yeah like, are these as much as i want a diverse casting for lord of the rings they would have to address some race stuff because it cannot be a colorblind casting. It just wouldn't make sense. They would have to like dig a little bit deeper if they decide to cast uh, people of color. And I'm not saying like, oh, they shouldn't cast people of color because it's well, they're all going to play orcs. But oh no, they're all going to be orcs. No, um, but just as Tolkien wanted it. it it's really funny because <laughs> like when I posted the news about this on our Facebook page. Mm. Uh, like one of my friends, um, she said that. Yeah, like, she, I, I, just, I saw her dream casting it. Yeah. I'm for that. Who's the actor again? Idris Elba. Idris Elba. Yeah. yeah. She was like, oh, after I saw Thor Ragnarok, like <laughs> I can only see him as Aragorn now. And I actually went and hunted down pictures because I haven't seen Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. And yeah, I can see it. I dig it. I mean, I can see, you know, like an Asian elf, like an Asian. Asian Legolas. Legolas. I was about to say Asian <laughs> Orlando Bloom, but that's not the character's name. Um, they did say that they are going to cover, like, like there might be some episodes that take place before the events of Lord of the Rings, but at the same time, I'm like, why? You can... Yeah, and this was also addressed in a Medium post by the author of Jade City. Oh, Fonda Lee. Yeah. Um, where she's talking about, because she said her, I guess JC is set in a, a fantasy, a modern fantasy world, right? It's, yeah, I, w- I would say it's like kind of like the roaring 20s with like yeah. mafia and mobsters. I'm not sure if I have my time period <laughs> correct, but I that's kind of like what yeah. it is. And like there's so many other great, like, you know, like someone on our book club mentioned um Sorcerer of the Crown as a good like a good setting also, like Regency era like magic that Regency era magic with people of color as protagonists. Yes. I would I would see it yeah. in a heartbeat. Miniseries, please. I mean, I guess if you're casting Idris Elba as Eric Horn, um I forgot his name. Sorcerer Obama would probably be um Sorcerer Obama. <laughs> Um, <laughs> what was his name? What was the Sorcerer Royal? The character's um, name? Yeah. <laughs> oh, shoot. It's been so long. I have to reread that I just know again. him as Sorcerer Obama. Um, he has to be... I'm thinking of other British actors, and like Idris Elba might be a little too old to play him, so maybe John Boyega, who yeah. also plays Idris Elba's son in the new Pacific Rim movie. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And then, I don't know, like the girl from... Um, the good place can be. Um, oh, the girl Prudence. who plays uh, yeah. Tahani. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> I love that show. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's so many great other settings. I mean, even No Ken Liu's Dandelion Dynasty um, series. That's like Asian inspired fantasy. Like, yeah. Why do we always have to go back to? I guess like you know, it's it's the age old worry of people in Hollywood. Like, what if people don't get it? You know. Like, I feel like they're not giving, especially genre fans, the benefit of, like, we're the people who readily accept, you know, dragons and elves and fantastical beasts in our, in our genre. Like, I feel like fans of, fans of fantasy sci-fi are, like, probably the audience most likely to accept these things. I mean, going back to the Lord of the Rings point, there are so many fantasies written by, like, authors of color that feature that feature protagonists of color and it's just so disappointing because it's like oh we could have had 
this thing with this much money invested in it and i mean tolkien's the they're 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 the big dogs in this world so i mean how much was it 250 million for just the rights like do you know how much like how much that would fund um <laughs> like indie projects made by filmmakers of color and like it, yeah. it's just like so infuriating that so much money is going into a thing that no one asked for <laughs> yeah and i want to like i'm not i'm not in the business of making predictions but like Given the times that we're heading into, Tolkien has a lot of like problematic aspects to it. We talked about that in our earlier episodes, yeah. like the continent. Yeah, yeah. and that will, that will only be more um, apparent in modern retellings of the story. Like, I don't think they're like I don't know if this will happen, but I don't know if they're prepared for like all the think pieces about the characterization of elves and orcs and. Like the very Eurocentric narrative of yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like with, Earth, yeah. with like if they even if they do diverse casting, they like the colorblind casting is going to get so much <laughs> like so many think pieces on like yeah. why like it's it's like not okay <laughs> and like what are the problems with it. It's yeah, I I'm just hoping that with like Crazy Rich Asians and to all the boys I've loved before and now like The Wrath and the Dawn if it ever like makes yeah. it past development hell like I like I just really hope that those series of um of movies made by Asian creators it's going to like make a ripple effect and yeah. maybe like change kind of like the landscape of Hollywood thinking but again I'm very cynical. <laughs> I'm very cynical, but I, 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 I mean, do. they haven't given this a lot to. Hang yeah, they haven't on, really. But the efforts. I mean, there are efforts, and there are people working hard, and there are people who have our backs, which is great. Yeah. So I'm going to give a trigger warning for uh, the next piece of news that we're gonna we're gonna say, and uh, if you're uncomfortable hearing about sexual harassment. Um, I would suggest fast forwarding maybe like a minute and 30 seconds forward in this podcast. Like two, three minutes, probably. Yeah, two, three minutes. Yeah, just trigger warning. Okay. All right. The bookseller recently conducted a survey on sexual harassment within the publishing industry. Uh, Just over half of the 388 respondents to the survey say they have experienced harassment with 54% of women and 34% of men saying that they have suffered abuse. According to the survey... Um, harassment is often carried out by more senior or high-status male colleagues, professional contacts, authors, or clients. Meanwhile, targets are often those who are young, in junior roles, new in the workplace, or working freelance. The risk of harassment seemed higher in certain roles. For example, 66% of publicists surveyed said they experienced work-related sexual harassment, while 61% of bookseller respondents said they were harassed by customers, colleagues, or visiting authors. Of the 51% of respondents who said that they experienced harassment, only 29.4% of them reported what happened. So um, if you've been following following like what's been happening in the news, in entertainment, yeah. in politics, like it, just any industry, there's been a lot of like... Any industry where, I mean, which, which, which is basically every industry, any place where, where people have the opportunity to exert power over people. Yeah. Right. And I mean, it's such it's such a sad reflection on just like the human condition, I guess, that like it happens everywhere. Like people, if you give them the opportunity, chances are 
And not to say everyone does this, but chances are people are doing it in every industry. Yeah, which is very unfortunate. Um, mm. And it really sucks, especially in the publishing industry, because the publishing industry is so small. Like it's pretty much centered in New York City, and everyone knows each other. And a lot of a, a lot of work involves like social engagements. Like you go to parties and mixers, and there's a lot of drinks involved. So. There's kind of like this excuse of, oh, he had a couple drinks, so he's going to be a little handsy, and it like, and there's a lot of like because it's so small, people don't really know who to trust when they come to reporting issues of sexual harassment, and it's just it's like really disheartening to hear. But I'm really glad that there are like there's like data to support.、Um, All of the sexual harassment and、uh, sexual assault that、uh, young people in the publishing industry are facing. Yeah, and the, right now, because there is so many incidents coming out to light, that people are finding strength in each other to to report these things now, even if they're beyond the statute of limitations. Just because, like, like it sucks that so many people have been keeping this stuff like under wraps or in their chest for like so long, you know. Um, and it just goes to show, like, for, for everyone gives those ex- excuses, like, oh, they're they're just they're, they're just like this when they're drunk or whatever, like that. All that stuff doesn't excuse the fact that the act is bad, the act is wrong,、yeah. right? And that's the bottom line. All this it says is just people deserve to work, to work and to play and to be in an environment where they don't have to worry about. And it's also like really. It's it's really disgusting that people who are in senior positions who have like maybe like they're in a high position in like like in an editorial department or maybe they're an author who you know have like a very high reputation. Like it sucks that for a lot of like HR people, it's just easier to fire the the junior employee、yeah. or like transfer them to another department rather than like. Address the issue head on, and when we touched on systematic institutions of racism, there's also systematic institutions of oppression, and、um, basically systems built to protect people with power, and it, it protects them from both like like professional and also social like repercussions for their actions, and、yeah. it sucks. It, it's it's um. There's already like not enough people of color in publishing as well, yeah. And it's like that's just like an added like ceiling onto it, and it's it's just not. yeah. And I mean, this type of thing is also it's cyclical too, right? Like people believe like because they've seen this is how people act when when they were junior, they like. It becomes ingrained that like、oh, when I become powerful, I can also do this. Yeah, and also like. Uh, we mentioned like booksellers, right? In in like the statistics,、um, yeah, like a lot of like booksellers, like at Barnes and Noble, like employees, they get harassed by male customers because they think that like them like smiling, <laughs> like at the customers is an invitation to like have sexual advances, and like that's not okay either. Yeah. That I mean, and, and that's like a, a general thing for women in society.、Right? Yeah, it's like not being careful not to give off any anything that can be turned around. Yeah, and also like we mentioned, like the 
um, like we mentioned statistics uh, regarding male victims as well. So this isn't just happening to women. It's happening to men. It's happening to non-binary people. It's happening to pretty much everyone in every industry. And it really, really fucking sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, It'll be interesting to see how all this shakes out, Uh, not only in publishing, but in media, in business, in politics. And I mean, it does feel like this is a turning point for when like old school shitty thinking is revealed and accepted in the mainstream as shitty and that, you know, people, I don't know, whoever takes over, whoever is the next generation of power in these industries, you know, one can only hope that they, whether out of fear of losing their jobs or just because they're good people, um, improve everything and And also means like you need to hire like more women and you need to hire like more diverse like more diverse people because if you level the playing field just a little bit (laughs) you'll see maybe a little bit of improvement and yeah to all the people to everyone who's been affected by harassment in the workplace like we stand with you and we it's important for everyone to recognize that this is a problem yeah and that people like it's it's always harder for the victims to admit or to come forward than it is to like just yeah. pretend nothing happened. So it, it everyone who's who's standing up, who is basically putting their names on the line, like they're they're very courageous. Yeah, I mean the only re- only quote unquote rewards that victims of this kind of thing uh, get is the hope that it doesn't happen to somebody else. Yeah, and. That's only in like the most positive <laughs> outcome, but um, yeah, like hopefully, yeah, hopefully things change. Hopefully, uh, um, and I think we have yeah, we have one more, one more, of, one, one, more piece of news. one more piece of news. Um, Hyphen Magazine is currently accepting creative nonfiction and personal essays about the Asian American experience. You can find more information at hyphenmag.submittable.com. Hyphen Mag has great writing, like. Um, I think they also do like short stories. So. They've been staffing up recently with new editors. Oh, good for them! They've good. been around for yeah. a long, long time. So, and they're volunteer run. They they're they're supported by sponsors and yeah. donors. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me of a tweet that happened, uh, like in the last couple days uh-huh. about like about the problem um, with thirty under thirty lists, and like <laughs> it's just like oh, like I th- I think it was. Um, Wendy of Angry Girl Comics, who said, like, she thought for the longest time that if she didn't get published by the age of 30, that she's a failure. Mm. And there's been a lot of, like, encouraging tweets um, from her from her tweet. And, yeah, there are a lot of authors who get their first big break past 30. And, um, and a lot of authors who are like in their 20s and get that shiny debut, a lot of them, you don't see a second book from them. So yeah. um, I just want to say like if you're close to 30, if you're past 30, it's not too late. It's yeah. never too late to start writing. It's never it's too late too... to get another dream. So Yeah, it's not too late to NaNoWriMo. Oh, God, NaNoWriMo. Oh, my God, NaNoWriMo. <laughs> if you are participating in NaNoWriMo this month, like – I have tremendous respect for you. <laughs> and 
oh man, like good luck, like yeah. good luck, and just press on. We need more diverse books, so <laughs> please, please, like continue and. And also, don't submit your manuscript right after NaNoWriMo. <laughs> like, I can't stress this enough. Like, like editors get swamped with slush piles from NaNoWriMo works. Mm. I, I know this because I worked at a literary, <laughs> like, a literary company. So, yeah, definitely, like, after you finish NaNoWriMo, um, just put it in a drawer for maybe, like, one or two months and then get back and revise it. But yeah, if yeah. you are participating in NaNoWriMo, mad respect. Good luck. Um, and on that note, that'll do it for this uh, mid-month episode of Books and Boba. I hope you enjoyed um, listening to our commentary on new releases and book news from the Asian American publishing world. Um, again, our November book club pick is Empress of a Thousand Skies by Rhoda Beleza. Um, and we'll be talking about that book at the end of the month. And next month's book, if you want to get a head start, is the Nobel Prize winning novel, Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. Um, apparently it's very good. Since I already read that book, uh, I'm going to be reading Remains of the Day oh. while uh, everybody else is reading Never Let Me Go. <laughs> And yeah, thanks again for listening to Books and Boba. Um, as always, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Um, leave us a rating and review on iTunes if you feel inclined to. It really helps us out um, getting out to more people. Please share us with any friends you have who are thinking of or even thinking of getting into books because it's a good starting off point. And, um, if they are tired of reading books only about white characters by white <laughs> authors, then this is the podcast for them. Yeah. And as always, please join our Goodreads forums, Books and Boba on Goodreads.com. Um, and um, introduce yourself to the group um, if you join. Um, we always love to um, meet new book club members. And yeah, that'll do it. We'll see you uh, in a few weeks for our book club discussion. Keep reading. Books and Boba was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and edited by Marvin Yue. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of podcasts featuring unique voices from the Asian American community. If you like Books and Boba, check out our other great podcasts such as the Collabcast, the official podcast of the collaboration movement, taking a weekly look at pop culture and the creative life from an Asian American perspective. Check out the Collabcast and the other great programs of the Potluck Collective by going to the website www.podcastpotluck.com.